morning. My name is Shamika Goddard. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of Luke. When they had reached the place called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there, together with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Abba, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Then they divided his garments, rolling dice for them. The people stood there watching. The rulers, however, jeered him and said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he really is the Messiah of God, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him. They served Jesus sour wine and said, if you're really the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was an inscription above Jesus that read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there beside him insulted Jesus too, saying, are you really the Messiah? Then save yourself and us. But the other answered the first with a rebuke. Don't you even fear God? We are only paying the price for what we have done, but this one has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your glory. Jesus replied, the truth is, today you'll be with me in paradise. It was about noon and darkness fell on the whole land until three in the afternoon because of an eclipse of the sun. Then the curtain in the sanctuary was torn in two and Jesus uttered a loud cry and said, Abba, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Shemika. You may be seated. Let's pray together. God of unbroken weakness, you laugh at our love for power, at our continual grasping for authority, at our frail self-protection projects. I pray that we may find a kinship in your kingdom. Find the love that is crucified a love that speaks forgiveness as its last word, a love creating space for others, a love that reigns without even a shadow of violence or fear. Create this love within us. May we create it for others. Through Christ, the King of fools, in foolishness we pray. Amen. Well, um, many of you probably don't know, um, maybe don't even care, and that is totally fine. But today is Christ the King Sunday, or also maybe known as the Reign of Christ or the Universal Christ. By that, the church kind of follows this different calendar and has been doing, th- doing so for many, many years. And it kind of goes through, these distant, it goes through these seasons, kind of following the way and the life of Jesus Christ and learning lessons and setting holidays and things on, aside with it. And so today is the end. You have come to the end of the year in the church calendar. The kind of the capstone of the entire project ends today. The reign of Christ. The kingship of Christ. The universality of Christ. And so today we have ended and next week begins. 
The next Sunday is Advent, the beginning of the story. We start again, the beginning of a birth, a preparation, a making room for Christmas, for a life, for the birth of Christ coming into this world. It is a time in which we seek to prepare within our own life a place for an infant in a vulnerable indwelling of God. An infant that will one day be called king. A child whose reign will be with authority and all power. But what is this reign, this kingdom, this power this authority all about. Today's passage pulls back the veil to reveal what is it all about, this beginning to this end. What is this power and authority that God is displaying here in this world? We are given a glimpse of what this king and his kingdom is up to. We see the divine foolishness we have been prepared for. We witness death serving as a clearing space for a birth of hope. We see a poor infant journeying to a divine king held as one. There is an end and there is a beginning, a death and a birth, and the two are held so closely together. Theologian Dolores Williams describes this paradox of this ending and this beginning of this crisis king and as an infant by writing this, the kingship of Christ can only be understood through this dissonance and harmony. King of kings on the one hand, as it is sung by a grand choir, and a poor little Mary's boy on the other that is whispered by an elderly woman standing alone. These two songs sung back and forth in call and response. It is what the black church was doing in its theology. Each song needs the other for the truth to shine. The power and the authority of God is in relationship with the incarnational vulnerability of an infant. Two, that seems so separate, so distant, are held together. Life and death, despair and hope are set along together. The one who will rule is the one who comes impoverished. The two songs are sung back to back, a call and response, joining together all things. And so as we experience this ending, the climax of it all moving to this moment of death, what do we gather from this dissonance and this harmony? What do we learn about the authority of God, about our own relationship with power, of our self-saving projects? What does it look like to live under this reign? Well, I don't know what your relationship with authority and power looks like, but I know for the majority of us, those words kind of make us, I can even see it right now, kind of squirm a little bit. We think of rulers, we think of bosses, we think of maybe some of our childhood. For others of us, it maybe feels healthy. What is your relationship? How do you view authority and power in your own life? 
So when Christ is described as a king, one who often speaks and teaches with authority, this is often what was defined when Christ spoke. They said, man, I think I've heard that before, but he just speaks it with an authority that I've never heard. When he has the power and the authority to calm chaotic waters with one command and the people shake, what does it look like for God's reign to rule over our lives. I think for most of us, we have rarely experienced power, authority held with care, stewarded in such a way in which it was created for. On the one hand, we have either seen power and authority used again and again and again as instruments of control, fear, abuse, oppression, to keep certain people protected under the foot as they put other people under their feet. We've seen this example throughout history and it will not stop. Or maybe we've seen authority and we've seen privilege and power just thrown away, disregarded, Kind of an unwillingness to grapple with it. Like, I can't be responsible with this authority and this power because I don't know how to use it well for the sake of others. And so it's acted like it's not there, thrown away, unwilling to embody it because we're too scared of how to use it. The weight of it just seems too heavy. This abusive use of power is not something new to us all. The reign of Caesar, the Roman rule in which this whole passage is coming out of the context, it is, I believe it is a pretty clear image and mirror to our world today. As you may well know, to Caesar, peace was only promised through violent force. Once you were conquered, taken over, and became a member of it, then peace was granted. Fear was continually used as an act of control of others. Those who, held, those who held the power created systems and rules that always oppressed and protected others. We have not grown out of these ways. We've found different ways to mask them and to dress them up. And in the face of all of this, Christ displays different kingship, a different relationship with authority and power. Christ's kingship is a perfect reversal of Caesar's, of ours. Instead of domination, it is servanthood. Instead of mockery, it is kindness. Instead of cruelty, it is mercy. Here is a king who is explicitly disavowing his own greatness in favor of humble service. Here is a king who refuses to use his power to fend off his opponents, much less take vengeance upon them. Instead, looks them into the eye, the enemy, the opposition, and says, God, forgive them. Far from a model of a tyrant, Jesus' kingdom is a reign of servanthood, of neighboring, 
a community of creating, a community of love and mercy that in his very last breath is, in, is ex- extending an invitation to all who are around him. This is what true power and authority should and needs to look like in this world, but we so often don't embody in our own life or see in our own leadership. And that's everywhere. The reign of Christ isn't just about giving praise. Like, isn't Jesus great though? He's like, that's how it should be. He's the great king. Like, that's a good example and we can look to that. But I think Jesus is asking more of us than just coming and worshiping him and saying, well, that's how it's supposed to be. There's a good king. Let's sing a song to him. This is also about changing our way in which we embody our own power, our own authority, our own roles, is about transforming the way in which we live in this world. Three times in this passage, Jesus has said, hey, why don't you just save yourself? Like, save yourself. If you're actually in power and authority, save yourself. It's similar to the temptation that we see in the beginning of Luke, in which he's tempted again and again to save, to feed, to create his own life and self. Save yourself, save yourself. Use your power to save you and your own is the temptation laid out for Christ and to be honest, laid out for every single one of us every morning. Save yourself. When we turn the microscope to our own soul and we realize this longing with our own power and authority that we have or has been taken away at times, this temptation to save ourselves. How are we trying to control our own life through self-protection? Who have we turned into an enemy, a scapegoat of our own pain and our own fears? Well, I don't know what it looks like for you. You're welcome to share this self saving projects, but I can tell you a little bit of what it looks like for me on a daily basis. It usually ends up at the same place all the time. I feel this need that I'm losing control and fear is taking over, and so I think to myself, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself, use every tool you have possible to save yourself. And sadly, I always end up in Barnes & Noble at like the self-help section and just look at every book and think, there's an answer somewhere here. Save yourself. If it's not there, I wake up in the morning and I open up my podcast and I'm like, there's an answer out here somewhere where someone really creatively is going to tell me how to live my life and how to protect myself and how to save my own life. And so I listen and I listen and I listen. And it's not all bad, but it's a project of figuring out how to save myself, build my own security and power. Save yourself, the temptation rides out again and again and again. On my better days, I dress it up. I make it look religious. If I can just be religious enough, pray the right prayers, read the right books, stand in front of a group of people and believe in this God that I'm supposed to believe in, maybe that project will be this way of saving myself. I'll get communal affirmation 
I'll get affirmation from this divine being who's in control. If I can just be woke enough, if I can just be alive enough, if I can just be religious enough, if I can just do the rules enough, then I will have a power and authority to save myself. What does your saving yourself projects look like? How do you use your power in such a way? We all fall into the temptation of saving ourselves instead of using our power and our authority to die to ourselves and serve others. When we get to a place of the cross, uh, it's complicated ground to stand upon. One of the aspects that I think is happening here is that the disciples, the religion, everything was looking at this Christ to be the Messiah, to save himself, to save others. And it was an external looking of saying, don't worry, God's gonna show up and save the day and figure it all out. If we can just create the right religion around it. Do you know what happens to that God we've tried to create, that the disciples tried to create? On the cross it dies. That God dies. Our hopes die. The God that we were like, you were going to have all of the answers. You were going to bring my kingdom and my power. I was going to sit at your right hand. Just when it's getting to the moment where it's like, it's all about ready to work out, it dies. Darkness hits. Hopelessness shows up. This is the ground we stand on. As our power and authority, yeah, no thanks. I'd rather stand at all the titles and just buy my hope and my authority and my power for 1999 with a new book title. But this very space in which the death of God is before us, is, it is this very space that seems God forsaken. There, precisely there, God promises to be present and active. In the places that seem to be deemed as dark have become for us wombs of hope. When all is being stripped away, when it is being sold, when our life, our ego, our plans of self-protection and building up are taken down and stripped naked, raw, and wounded, it is there that I believe we begin to find intimacy with a divine beloved. It is in the silence that we begin to hear, not, maybe not hear, to, to feel the very presence of God. That's a hard authority to trust. But the truth is you're not gonna have to seek it out. It will show up in your life because your self-saving projects will not work. They might put you ahead of others, but at some point they all seem to turn on themselves. We all find ourselves in those moments in which the gods we have created die and we wonder what is left. This is the space that Jesus doesn't just give us, but actually embodies. And so, invites us into. This is the space in which the realm and the reign of Christ begins to work in our own life. So how does this Christ reign? It is a movement, I believe, 
in Christ that we see from kingdom or a kingship, one who rules with power, authority, force, fear, and control, to one in which Christ is using that power and authority for the sake of a kinship, for a being present with others, empowering others, giving mercy to others, sitting in the darkness with others. Christ doesn't put aside his power and authority. He holds on to it in a very centered way. But he also empties himself for the sake of others. Abba, forgive them. He listens to the cries of the criminals standing right next to him, being hung right next to him. And he sees them not as a forsaken group that he doesn't want to be with, but he begins to see them as neighbors, as those to reach, to listen to, and to love. Christ is like a mother giving herself, her very body, her very self for the sake of another. Christ, in his very last words in the moment, gives others gives to others without losing his own authority, identity, and power. You have to believe that you are a beloved of God and that is unshakable if you are wanting to pour out and give yourself for the sake of others. If not, you're just gonna use others for your own power and authority and gain. There's a security we hold in our relationship with God that we know that there is a presence in the darkness, a hope in the despair, that we don't have to move away from it but we can sit in it because there is a kinship we have in Christ. We have seen this power and this, I have seen personally. If you're wondering what it looks like, just look around because I personally have seen this power and authority alive in this beloved community. When I see people open space for others who have often been rejected by religion and the church in the name of Christ, and they say, no, this, this is a space in which you can be. I'm seeing power and authority unreversing the abuse that the church has created throughout culture. When I see people sacrificially giving of time, finances, whatever it may be, when I know they are afraid of scarcity, they just think there's not enough, But they say, no, I'm going to use my power and authority and the love of God to give. When we give space, when you have given space for leaders to fail, to disappoint, to doubt, to struggle, it is a giving of a space and a power and authority for us to show up in our vulnerability. At the end of the day, this is primarily a a moment, Christ on this cross speaking to these criminals. It is a moment between two people, two embodied humans. It's hard to imagine the noise, the physical, the mental, the emotional noise which Jesus is dealing with. He's experiencing this chaos in his last hour, yet tenderly and with infinite loving generosity, he makes and holds space in which another person, another story can be and can be transformed. This is his very last act. 
And so we don't just worship it. It's important, but we also embody it. What does it look like for us? In the midst of the noise and the chaos, our own struggle, to hear the story, to give space for the sake of others. May we learn to do likewise. For this is where the kingdom of God is. That is what it looks like for Christ to reign with power and authority and mercy and love and justice. So may we sing the song of dissonance and harmony, of life and death, of doubts and hopes. May we sing the song of our fears and may we sing the song of our needs. May we sing out loud together and with God and know that in the singing and the holding of these things that we often run from or separate, that we are proclaiming God's reign here and now and in all things. May we sing, may we sing, may we sing together. Let's pray. Christ, as we come to the end, as we come to this place in which your whole ministry, your whole life, everything is building as we come to this last moment with such joy and excitement and hope in which you will rule, what do we see but your death? When we long for you to take over and destroy our enemies, what do we get but words of forgiveness? When we want to see you with the heavenly host in all of glory, where do we see you? In between two criminals, having a conversation of love and grace. Christ, may this image of you not be just something that we worship, that we are confused by, that seems foolish, but it may it be a way in which you are calling us to live as broken bread, poured out wine, life given for the sake of others. Help us die to all our self-saving projects, to all our idol gods, to all our fake authority and power, which is just a cover for fear. Help us die to it all so that we may rise as a people of grace, forgiveness, as a people holding on to true power and authority through your spirit together. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.